So as I mentioned a moment ago, we are in the midst of a sermon series that we are calling Fierce, looking at some of the women in the Bible, many of whom oftentimes get overlooked, sometimes even go unnamed. But there are some women in Scripture who are fierce and funny, demanding. And like all of us, their stories are messy, challenging, but also beautiful. Their stories are an example of mercy and bravery, of bold loyalty, as we will see today. Today we're looking at the story of Ruth, which is a fantastic, beautiful story, but yet one that many of us don't know all that well. Now, central to the story of Ruth is, well, a woman by the name of Ruth. She is a Moabite, which means that she's not from Israel. She's an outsider. But yet, despite that, according to tradition, she is the great-grandmother of King David himself. Now, to set the scene for the text that you're about to hear, there was a man from Bethlehem known as Elimelech, and he was married to a woman by the name of Naomi, and together they had two sons. There was a famine at that time in the land of Judah, and so they traveled to Moab, which is one of the neighboring countries just on the other side of the Dead Sea, and they went there so that he could feed his family. Now, eventually, Elimelech died, leaving behind his wife, Naomi, and their two sons. The sons, though, eventually married Moabite women, one of whom was Ruth. The other one was a woman by the name of Orpah, but you don't need to remember that. It won't be on the final exam. And they lived there for 10 years, but then, just like their father before them, both of the sons died. Now, in that time, in that culture, women had no way to care for themselves. They had no way to make a living. They had no way to provide for themselves. So Naomi decided that the best thing for her was to go back to Judah, to go back to Bethlehem. She had family there. And maybe, hopefully, prayerfully, they would be able to take care of her. And so as they set out, Naomi turned to her daughters-in-law and said, There's nothing for you there. You should stay here. Go back and live with your families. You're still young. You can find husbands. You can turn your life around. My life, she says, is a mess. There's nothing for me here, but you still have time to turn things around. Well, Orpah kissed her on the cheek and wished her well and turned and started back towards Moab. But Ruth, Ruth clung to her. And then she said this. Our scripture reading today comes from the Old Testament, the book of Ruth, chapter 1, verses 16 through 18. But Ruth said... Do not press me to leave you, to turn back from following you. Where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God shall be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do thus to me and more as well, if even death parts me from you. 
When Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, she said no more to her. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to God. So there is this story that we tell of Ruth. We hear it sometimes at weddings. In fact, the text that was just read a moment ago is oftentimes used in wedding ceremonies when two people are making their own vows, their own commitments, and drawing their lives more closely together than ever before. And Jews also tell the story of Ruth at the festival known as Shavuot, which is a festival of the harvest in which they pray for and celebrate the goodness of a harvest. The narrative in most of these tellings is that Ruth is pretty, that she's clean, that she's a a hardworking woman that catches the eye of a wealthy landowner, and that their union, their marriage, means both a plentiful harvest, which is why her story is read at Shavuot, but also, also that Israel will once again be politically relevant again. But as we know all too well, the Bible is rarely straightforward, and Ruth's story is not unambiguous. As we know, there's always more to the story. There's the thing behind the thing, the story behind the story. The issue is never the issue. And it turns out, Ruth's story is like that. It's also about a woman, a woman's worth. It's about how we care for one another, how we take care for one another. It's about about foreigners that take our food. It's a story that reminds us that God has this embarrassing way of breaking all the rules, especially, especially the one that says, no outsiders allowed. But it's also about how God works through ordinary people. And even, in this case, this non-Israelite woman. But it's also a piece of theological art that invites us to reflect and to to think about how God is involved in our day-to-day joys and struggles that underlie human life. Now, if you were to open your Bible, you would notice that the book of Ruth appears just after the book of Judges and begins with this line from Ruth 1, chapter Chapter 1, verse 1, in the days when the judges ruled the land, which means that in order to understand Ruth's story, you have to first understand the story of the judges. Reminds us of the very dark, difficult days from the book, the book of Judges, because central to that story is the story of 600 men raiding a nearby country, taking 600 women to be their wives. It's the story of kidnap, of pillage, of sexual assault. And the last verse of Judges reads this. In those days there was no king in Israel, and all the people did what was right in their minds. Can you imagine? No one to hold them accountable. Everyone just did whatever they wanted to do. As you can imagine, these were pretty dark and difficult days for women. Already set in a deeply patriarchal world, at that time, women were seen and used as commodities, not necessarily partners in relationships. They had no power. They had no voice. Now, add to that this deadly famine in the land that forces Naomi 
and Elimelech and their two sons to, to turn their backs on the land that they had known to be home. The land that they had tilled, that they had harvested, that they had made a life for themselves. And they are so hungry that they flee in search of food and security in Moab of all places. Now it's hard for us to fully understand the level of disdain in reading that word. That word should really be read slowly. Like it's something slimy that you see stuck to the bottom of your shoe. Moab. You see, the Moabites were filthy. Their whole tribe began with Lot and his daughters, survived the catastrophe of Sodom. But it's there that they go. That's how desperate they are, how hungry they are. Because at this point, it feels like they haven't eaten in forever. And it so often happens when we muster the courage to get to know someone who's different than us. It turns out that the Moabites aren't nearly as bad as everyone seems. In fact, the sons meet a couple of nice women and they fall in love with the locals. And so now Naomi's family adds two more, Ruth and Orpah. And as often happens in life, things go well right up until the point that they don't. And sickness strikes the area, and Naomi's husband dies, and then one of the sons dies soon after the other. All of the men, two generations of men in one small family, all gone in a matter of moments. By this time, it's been a few years that they've been there, and the word spreads that the drought in Judah is over, that the crops are starting to grow again, and Naomi realizes she has no reason to stay in Moab. And so she decides that she will go home. But she knows, she knows that life of an unmarried foreign widow in Israel is going to be hard. And she tells her daughter-in-law, your families will take care of you. Stay here, go and be with them. And to Orpah, Naomi's advice seemed reasonable. And she decides in that moment, and she turns and goes towards home. But not Ruth. Ruth clings to Naomi. Now, when I hear those words, I immediately think of my twins when they were much younger. And they would grab, each of them would grab hold of one of my feet, and I would just sort of shuffle around the house, dragging them along as they clung to my feet. But that's not quite what this word means. In Hebrew, the word is davok. It's the same word that's used in Genesis 2. Therefore, a man leaves his father and his mother and clings to his wife, and they become one flesh. The same word appears later in Deuteronomy. You shall fear the Lord your God. God alone shall you worship to the Lord you shall hold fast, devok, to cling, and by God's name you shall swear. Do you see the level of depth of the holding on to the clinging, the clinging that Ruth holds on to Naomi? She is all in, and with this incredible loyalty, this selflessness, this unshakable commitment, 
to Naomi, no matter what. Where you go, she says, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Your people will be my people. Your God will be my God. And where you die, by God, that's where I will be buried too. And with that, they turn and walk hand in hand to face the long walk around the Dead Sea back towards Bethlehem. Now, church, it's hard for us to overstate how Ruth's life is going to be changed by this incredibly bold pledge that she is making in order to honor this woman that is so worn down by life and grief, so worn down, so filled with grief at this moment, so distraught that Naomi says, from this day forward, don't call me by that name. I have a new name. My new name is Mara. Mara in Hebrew means Bitter. Call me bitter. You see, this selfless sacrifice that Ruth is making is incredible. And once she's back in Bethlehem, she will not only be a widow, but also be an outsider, the Moabite, the dirty foreigner. Not only that, but the timing could not be any worse because Ruth will be putting down roots in a culture that is heavily influenced at that time by Ezra and Nehemiah, some of the prophets who believed that they could purify the population by casting out all of the foreign wives and their children. And Ruth, the Moabite, would be one of those wives. In other words, she is putting her very life at stake, laying down her life for Naomi. Well, Ruth and Naomi, they arrive in Israel with little more than the clothes that they are wearing, and they're famished once again. And so to put some food in their bellies, Ruth goes gleaning. Now, gleaning isn't quite as bad as begging in the town square, but almost. Only the desperate go to the grain fields to collect what had fallen on the ground when those would come to harvest the land. Those that would go just to the outskirts, to those little scraps that were waiting along the edges, they have nothing. And so on that first morning, Ruth gets up and prays to Naomi's God and goes and plucks grain for hours in the hot sun, picking up what was left behind by those that had gone before her. Now, hours into the labors, the landowner himself, a man by the name of Boaz, who is said to be a man of noble character, he shows up. And as the story goes, he notices this woman gleaning and asks about her. And she is, he is told that her name is Ruth and that she is a Moabite. And so he goes to her and says, you know, I've, I've heard about you about how you care for your mother-in-law, how you've risked everything to come here, even though you have no one, you have nothing. And then he shows her incredible generosity, making special provisions so that this dirty foreigner can gather grain in the field anywhere and any time. In so doing, what he's doing, of course, is obeying an explicit command in the Torah to, to show generosity to the immigrants, to the poor. And Boaz is so impressed by her loyalty that he promises to pray for her 
every single day. He prays that, that God would reward her for her boldness, for her loyalty, for her selflessness. Well, spoiler alert, God does reward her for her boldness, for her loyalty, for her selflessness. The story goes on that Booth and Roaz, Booth and Roaz, that was good. Did you see that? <laughs> Booth and Roaz, we'll just make people up at this point in the story. Ruth and Boaz, where was I? What, what would just happen there? Boaz and Ruth, they eventually get married. And all of the tragedies, all of the hardship, all of the sorrow that happens at the beginning of the story, all of that is reversed by the time we get to the end. Ruth is married, gives birth to a son, and all of this brings great joy to Naomi because now her family is redeemed and restored through her daughter-in-law, Ruth. Now, there's a lot of fascinating things in this story, many different ways that we can go, but one of the things that I find most fascinating about Ruth's story is that God is hardly mentioned at all. Some of the characters talk about God, but the narrator never once mentioned God doing anything directly in any way, shape, or form. But Ruth, in this moment, is fierce in her loyalty, and her story, therefore, points to a God who also is loyal. Now, I would argue that part of the brilliance of this story is that God is at work in every scene, weaving together all of the circumstances, guiding the choices of all the characters, that God works through the boldness and the loyalty of Ruth, the generosity and the loyalty of Boaz, using all of that to save and redeem Naomi. And as I alluded to earlier, the book concludes with a genealogy that shows that Ruth and Boaz, or their son, Obed, is the great-grandfather of the King David, from whom comes the line, the lineage of Jesus, the long-awaited Messiah, the one who would redeem all the world, all of which invites us, all of this envisions, invites us to, to, to notice just how the mundane events of our lives, of ordinary people, people like you and me, are all woven into God's great story of redemption. All of which invites us to think about how God might be at work in the ordinary, Monday events of our lives as well. You see, Ruth's story also reminds us that sometimes, sometimes life is hard, really, really hard. But even in that suffering, even in that sorrow, there is, there is hope, there is redemption, there's baby in the midst of a misery, there is life in the midst of suffering. And that those two things, the good and the bad, the joy and the sorrow, the hope and the hardship, that sometimes, and I would argue most of the time, that those two things go, well, they go hand in hand, just like Ruth and Naomi, as they make the long, difficult walk around the Dead Sea towards Bethlehem.